What's up, everybody? We're back on the Nogginons Podcast. I am Jake Wiskirchen, your host. And it's been a few weeks, but we have a new episode. And uh, I'm really, really excited about this one because we get to catch up a little bit with Safiso Rupinga, the founder of Noggin Notes. He's in South Africa right now, which is his home country, and uh, taking a little visit with his family away from Cambodia, where he's been living and working and growing the project. Noggin Notes has become so much more than a podcast, and I'm really, really excited. I'm proud. I'm honored to be a part of it. I'm honored to have been in this international journey with Safiso for the last uh, five-plus years now, and it's really neat to see it growing. I think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. You're going to enjoy hearing the update. Um, I'm guessing that if you've been listening for any period of time, you'll probably feel a sense of pride like I have, that we're bringing new information to communities and cultures that have never had it. This is how people grow. This is how we we advance mental wellness across the globe. Um, I'm very, very happy that this is going on. I'm happy for what he's doing, and um, yeah, I'm just I'm just stoked. So uh, sit down, relax, listen at uh, whatever <laughs> whatever speed you do on your uh, podcast app. And uh, enjoy. Welcome, listening audience, to Noggin Notes. This is our—I uh, don't even know—I've lost track. 160 something <laughs> episode. How, do you have From any? The, um, oh, probably, probably 160 ish. I don't know. Um, but we've been doing it for five years now. We're coming up on five Six. full years. No, well, the podcast anyway. The podcast, yeah. yeah. Um, six yeah. years that Nogginets has been around because it was 2016. You and I met, yeah. Um, in uh, De- I don't know, it was like late late 2016. We had that Skype call, and then 2017 December. we started talking around January of 17. Yeah. So anyway, listening audience, this is Safisa Rapinga. Hi, <laughs> hi Jake. Hello, Found- audience. Good to be back on here. Found- oh, this is founder my and uh, yeah, it is founder and um, I don't know chair chairperson, chief executive officer, <laughs> chief cook and bottle washer. Um, yeah, Safiso uh, is responsible for Naga Notes, and um, you know the the apocryphal story is that he and a guy that he met named Tom Phillips decided they wanted to do an app for mental health and connected with a uh, one of my old college buddies, Lauren uh, and Lauren. Um, introduced you guys to me and then we uh we we were off and running you can hear the original story back in whenever we recorded probably 2020 hundreds yeah it was oh, the 100th hundred episode yeah. it was 2019 but uh yeah it was the 100th episode of noggin notes podcast now we have two more and if you've uh, been following our work you know that uh i interviewed uh chris and and uh moni uh the the respective hosts of africa and cambodia versions of of Naga Notes and Safiz is pointing to his shirt. If you're listening on the podcast and not the video, not watching the video, he's got a Naga Notes Cambodia shirt on, which is pretty sweet. I got to get my hands on one of those because uh, wearing it around <laughs> Reno, Nevada would be pretty neat. Um, so anyway, you're up to some new stuff. We want to have some conversations about some serious topics too. Um, but fill us in on what's been going on in your world. I mean, you, you really taken this and turned it into something special. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Uh, it's wow, six years. It's it, it still blows my mind. Like out of nowhere, creating something, seeking 
a path and a light for whatever we were going, Tom and I were going through, and look at us now. Um, uh, I, I three, only had three one podcasts. kid back then. I didn't even have two kids back then. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, so as you mentioned, we started off with a, uh, uh, an app, and then we went into podcasting, uh, idled on there for a while, and then we had to shut down the app just before COVID. Oh, COVID. Um, that was a difficult decision for me. Um, because I, I am bootstrapping everything, what we're doing, and I had to make a decision. It's like, I don't know what's going to happen after this plague that's hitting the planet. So just in case, let me just um, shut down the service and then see how we do in the future. But doing that was a catalyst to what we, where we are now. We really restructured our focus on what we wanted to do with Noggin Notes and decided to really focus on... Um, educating and trainings um and that's when you and i when you passed me the the gift of information of creating that emotional uh learning uh, curriculum which is amazing yeah thanks for saying that it's you know we're we're finding the same is true with walk the talk america which is this uh this organization i'm a part of here stateside that does guns and mental health stuff you know for for firearms owners to get access to mental health care and not be suspicious of it um, we find that education is the route. Um, people mm. crave good education. I think there's not a lot of good education out there anymore. I think a lot of it's prepackaged, you know, off the shelf, uh, turnkey. Here's your box of uh, tools and supplies. Anybody can mm-hmm. use it. But it's it's pretty impersonal at that point. You know, so you can, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, for example, um, look at any school curriculum. Uh, they all get branded. You know, there's iReady and e-learn and um mm-hmm. some of these i'm probably just going to make up um social <laughs> uh what, what's uh social emotional learning sel is a big SEL. thing but yeah. um but there's different brands of sel programming that you can buy from different websites and so you know basically what we're doing is we're going that route with noggin notes and with walk talk america with our specific curricula um, but we're centering on emotional functioning which nobody teaches uh, not not yep. appropriately anyway a uh, very few do and we want to personalize it. We don't want to just give a, a stack of books and worksheets to mm-hmm. a set of teachers and say, here, go learn it. We want to make sure that this is sustainable. And I think mm-hmm. that because people sense our authenticity and our honesty and integrity, it makes us more attractive, right? When when we're trying to, I mean, we are trying to sell this stuff, but we're, we're also trying to improve humanity. And I think a lot of the the other programming that's out there doesn't necessarily carry that same intent. I think they're there just to make money. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think education is the way to go. It's nice to offer stuff for free, but um, eventually, you know, you got to put food in your belly. So. <laughs> um, I like where the direction we went is the same way with the podcast with mental health. The talk of mental health was global. It was coming up, but it was a blanket talk. Like everyone was just talking and it wasn't, a lot of people weren't um, resonating with what was being communicated out in the world. Um, same like the, the communication of mental health in America and the communication of mental health in Asia, in Africa, uh, was totally different because each and every society and cultures, they've been raised differently. And with this um, emotional functioning, as you customize it to the clients or to the organization, it becomes personal. And it becomes theirs. And a lot of the 
programs out there. It's just a program just to do. You do it. You don't really embody it. And what I love about the curriculum that we do is that the individuals that we interact with embody what we, we, we're working with and they can do it, work with it in their work, in their schools, at home, in their relationships, because it's, it's an everyday thing that you need to be practicing uh, for yourself. That, that's exactly it. And that's why I'm so excited about it. That's what, you know, so for the, the listening audience, I'm going to paint a little picture of my, my journey through counseling very briefly. Um, the way it works is you enroll in counselor school and they teach you foundational stuff. And some of those foundations are uh, theories. So theoretically, uh, how do you see uh, how people change or grow or develop? So some of the names of theories are cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, for example, dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, existentialism, Jungian analytic psychology, reality therapy, um, structural family therapy. Uh, the, the list goes on and on. So you've learned all these theories and you're supposed to start with one, anchor yourself well, learn where its limits are, and then add another one and add another one until you get to a point where you're more or less competent to treat anything that walks through the door. Okay. Well, along the way, I learned about this emotional functioning stuff from a guy named Carol Izzard, who's who he died back in, I want to say 2017 ish, but um, he he's taught and studied it for like 50 years. And it was very, very well researched. And basically the commonality is, all human beings have these 10 core emotions. So therefore it's applicable to anyone. It has no cultural influence. There's no yeah. social um, mm-hmm. shifting. You can, you can take it anywhere. And here's the really cool thing. Not only is it uh, applicable irrespective of culture or demography, but it also is applicable irrespective of profession. So we can teach this stuff to counselors. Obviously we can teach it to our patients. We can teach it to big groups of attorneys or doctors or first, first responders or our educators or anybody. Um, because guess what? They're all humans and all mm-hmm. human beings have all 10 core emotions and that'll improve your relationships. It'll improve your communication skills. It'll improve your insight and awareness. It'll improve your leadership, like everything. So it's, it's truly universally mm-hmm. applicable and very much in the same vein as uh, Christian Conti's yield theory. You know, if, if you, if you learn how to connect with people, meet, meet them where they are and validate emotions accurately man, there's mm-hmm. nothing you can't do. And so it provides a, a really good framework. And then what you can do, like you alluded, you contextualize it specific to who, the demographics that you're teaching. So I'm going to yeah. speak differently to a room full of attorneys than I would a room full of teachers. Um, same 10 emotions, but ir- irrespective of age or licensure or title or whatever, I can customize it. And that's what you're doing now. And you're, yeah. you're bringing it to, to, you're starting in Cambodia. So tell us a little bit about some of that work and yeah. why, why it's so important there. Um, Asia is very cultural. It has a deep uh, cultural background and the individuals there reminds me of African culture. Um, as everyone, if the, no one knows, I'm South African, but live in, in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Africans have deep culture. Um, and our ancestors and with Africans, uh, we carry these uh, traits, traditions to generation and generation and generation. Um, but some of the traditions and stuff that have been happening within our culture is very old and it doesn't really 
we've lost the humanness of um, ourselves because of a lot of things that are happening. What do you mean? But what do you mean by that? You've lost the humanness of yourself. So in in South Africa, we we speak about something called Ubuntu. Uh, Ubuntu is man, like me and you. Uh, we're always there for another, uh, connecting um, mm-hmm. spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And there's a disconnect. I don't know if it's because of technology advances, um, but there's a lot of disconnect. There's less emotion. Um, and less connection uh, within uh, uh, societies or groups. And emotions play a big role. And in African cultures, there, there was something, I don't know where it started, but um, there's a sense of, especially African men, you don't really show emotions because you're a warrior, right? you mm. out there hunting um, emotions was for the women and the children and um, maybe back when in, in the hunting days it helped keep a male uh, focus on the hunt and going out you know if he gets hurt you know just to push on but as we evolved as humans uh, we can't get rid of that so we suppressed a lot of that um, and that brings up a lot of the, the trouble and the things that I've gone through with a lot of suppression of my own emotions and carrying of my ancestral trauma mm. through for my parents and their grandparents and so forth. So in Asia, especially, specifically in Cambodia, I'm not sure if anyone's aware, but Cambodia went through a genocide uh, where Pol Pot was an individual who killed a, a large percentage of um, Cambodians uh, for various reasons. And now there's this newer generation who don't understand what happened in the past and this older generation who, I wouldn't say refused, but scared to communicate what was happening. So they're trying to forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, there's a massive disconnect between the older generation and the newer generation. Uh, so there's a loss of identity. Uh, there's um, not understanding uh, what's going on. And the older generation are holding on to traditions that they used to. And they're trying to push these traditions on the newer generation. But the newer generation don't really want to uh, accept this because they don't feel it's connection between within themselves and who they are as Cambodians. Uh, so what we do with um, the training and the part, specifically the podcast, the podcast is in Khmer. We talk about uh, a lot of local stuff that are happening within the kids, within the parents. We've even had uh, parents call in and messages saying, thank you for speaking up about this. Um, yeah. It's helped me communicate clearly to my kids and open up um, and and because there was a massive disconnect. And so we saw that, okay, so the people are listening and the older generation actually do want to open up, but they don't know how to. They have all these emotions and trauma in within them, but they have no tools or understanding on how to release them from their bodies and their minds. Um, so this is where the emotional functioning curriculum comes in. Uh, so we, we're busy with schools and companies where we do, we bring, we provide them a foundation 
So the emotional functioning mm-hmm. workshop is a foundation. So we teach them about Carol Izzard and all the, the 10 emotions and then we go deeper. So educating on what emotions are brings an awareness and a realization and then from there, we provide tools for them say, okay, scenario, if this happens, what do you feel? And then expressing, how do you express? If someone triggers you, what comes up? Um, where is it coming from? Um, you know, uh, and it's, it's, it's been amazing watching individuals who before would never um, recognize an emotion and for them like to break down and say thank you this is i wish we had this more long time ago in our schools and i wish our government would speak about it um so it's a beautiful thing to see that's really awesome and it's encouraging to hear um it's a little overwhelming actually because you know all i did was repackage it right I, i took it actually from a when i got taught this stuff in in school um my professor chuck hold who was uh, very influential in a lot of students' lives. He, um, he touched on it, but didn't, didn't really break down the emotions. Um, what he did was he said, uh, thoughts and feelings are separate, and you need to articulate the difference between mm-hmm. the two. Be- and I took that to heart. And I think the reason I took it to heart was because I struggled so much with that concept when I'd say, you know, something like... <laughs> I feel like you're not listening to me. He's like, that's not a feeling. I'm like, but I feel it. And he's like, no, you don't. You think it. <laughs> and he, he made such an impact that I was like, the world needs to learn this stuff because mm-hmm. I was screwing it up so badly. So I made a, I made a YouTube video about it that says uh, saying, I feel is ruining your ability to think. And that basically was the mm-hmm. result of the emotional functioning stuff that I taught. Even as a student, I started breaking this stuff down and wrestling with it you know, 12 years ago or something when I was doing my, my practicum. and. So now knowing that it's like touching people all over the world is really cool. But your testimony about what's happening in that community is not unique. Um, we did the same mm-hmm. thing as part of a project in a, a little town called Lovelock, which is um, about 90 miles east of Reno. And 2,500 people in the community, um, 640 kids in the school district. There's three schools, elementary, middle and high. And um, we jumped in at the tail end of a five-year grant that was designed to implement school-based mental health because the previous uh, provider had pulled up stakes and disappeared overnight. So Zephyr came in and picked up the the slack. And what we found was that that grant over the the five years uh, went something like this. It went suspicion, um, hesitant engagement, full engagement, and then eager participation. <laughs> and so now we're about seven years away from the and st- the start of the grant. Zephyr's been there for about four of those years. And um, the whole community has changed because parents were watching mm. their kids get exposed to this mental health stuff and watching it help them. And then they started going, Oh, maybe I should get some of that. And now they actually eagerly look forward to it. The whole, the whole culture has changed. So you take some from, you know, six, seven years ago, you've gotten, I don't know, take a kid who may be graduating this year. Maybe this is their senior year. There were 10 or 11 at the time. And that's fourth, fifth grade, Mm -hmm. you know, so they've, they've now, 
touched everybody, really. The whole culture has changed. This is the expectation yeah. now of the schools is we talk about our mental wellness. We talk about our emotions. We, we look out for each other. And if we see one of our peers is struggling, we alert uh, administrative staff or teachers or school counselors. And back in the yeah. day, not only didn't it happen, there was open denial <laughs> that anything was wrong. Now it's mm-hmm. gone, it's gone appropriately yeah. to the, to the middle where, you know, I would, I don't want to say the pendulum has swung so far that everybody's purposely looking for mental illnesses. That's not the case, but it's gotten so far yeah. to the middle that now you've got a healthy functioning school where people are looking out for each other. So if you can bring that to, you know, Phnom Penh or the entire country of Cambodia yeah. um, or the entire country of South Africa, and it ripples out through culture, man, what a great, cool impact we will have left on society, you know? Exactly. Um, I'm currently in South Africa as we talk um, for holidays. Uh, I haven't been home for three years, so um, it's so good to be home. Um, And I was talking to one of my best mates. His uh, little brother works in a marketing agency. And um, we were discussing what we're doing. And he was like, we need this in our um, team. Um, because the mental wellness within teams in in South Africa, as well as schools, uh, it's 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 not there. There's these programs, but it's not as impactful um, as it's shown. Um, I guess it's also still in the infant stage where there are organizations who want to make a difference, and they're doing really great work, but there's not a massive drive. Because of still, especially in South Africa, the stigma of um, mental health is still quite big. And but com- corporations are starting to see that okay, we need to do something to help improve our employees' mental state because um, it, it makes a difference. It, it oh yeah, you can you can change your RRI hitting better KPIs within organization if you're. People are happy. Yeah, yeah. They're more productive. The, the morale improves. Um, they're less sick physically uh, because if your mind is at peace, then your body has a chance to heal itself. I mean, it's like the the ripple effect of being mentally sound is, I mean, it knows no bounds. And I don't yeah. know why people, I don't know why people don't throw more money at this uh, in the form of especially like preventative care and training, you know, in in the United Mm -hmm. States, I just got done saying this like three or four times over the last week on different podcasts, but, uh, and on Twitter, um, mental health services are not like that you have to in America, if you want to bill insurance and get reimbursed for the service, you have to have a diagnosis, which means you have Mm -hmm. to effectively be broken before you can get care and and that's stupid like we should be doing how does that make sense it doesn't (laughs) it's more expensive later yeah keep people well and you don't have to pay more like it makes no sense to shareholders it makes no sense to to the the members themselves it makes no sense to the the uh, anybody i don't know why preventative care isn't a thing in mental health other than maybe people are thinking they're it's going to get abused or something, but it's, it's pennies. It's, it's literally pennies. And if these corporations would figure it out, like, like your buddies, you know, is talking about just, just drop some money, hire people like you and me to come in, train your staff a couple of times a year, get, get, you know, and, and and have a deep, meaningful relationship with that company and its Mm -hmm. culture. Um, You know, I don't want to be a jack of all trades. Anybody I want, I want meaningful relationships. I want it to be personal. 
I don't want it to just exactly. be a corporate rollout. Um, cause the last thing anybody needs is another like training, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is a training that you can take home. Um, and, and I think honestly in combating the, in combating the stigma, my success has come from being a dude, honestly, like, you know, I look like I've played sports my whole life. Mm-hmm. Cause I have, and I have the, the crippled back to <laughs> prove it. Um, but, you know, coming in as a, as a guy talking about feelings comfortably and owning it, I think makes a big difference. I mean, you, you play rugby and you do jujitsu and yep. like you, you look like a dude's dude. And if you went in there and start talking about emotions, I'll bet more dudes would listen. And the chicks of course will be like, Oh, look at him. Right. And, um, and then they're, you know, elbowing <laughs> their husbands in the ribs being like, yeah, why, why can't you open up like Shafiso? Um, so I think <laughs> if we record, if we recruit more males into the fold to go teach yeah. these corporations, uh, and their male dominated executive, yeah. you know, C-suite people. Uh, I think it's going to hit a lot better too. I found that in the yeah. gun community to be true for sure. It's all like, we all want to be heard. We all want to um, live a happy life. Um, it's just that we need, we need to be those, those guiding lights for these individuals. And that's what has kept me driving on every day. Even when there's times where I'm like, nope, I've had enough. I'm done with all this. You know, like we, we've come so far. uh, We've touched and helped so many individuals. I still, I thank God. I'm like, I'm even through all the the craziness, the pain and the tears. um, I'm still marching on and lots of doors are opening for more of this to to be encompassed in within the, the society. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the pain and the tears for a second, because um, right before we started recording, you and I were kind of belly aching about how it's really hard to maintain enthusiasm in the face of opposition that's way, way, way stronger than you. And when I'm talking about like you know, mm. if, uh, if we all get pushed into a central bank digital currency and they, whoever the they is, you know, the, the, the corporate elites, the global elites, they want to they want to control the the peons, the plebs, you and me. Right. And, and we can dive into the psychology of that if, if we want. You know, it has to do with ego and manipulation and all that stuff. But the point is, it's happening. And if you lose your freedom in any way, shape or form to to something you don't trust, right? Because we, we do this also. We sacrifice liberties for, for things that we reasonably see as an exchange, like the liberty of being single, we exchange for the what comes with marriage, um, the independence that we get from not having kids. Mm-hmm. We sacrifice that for the joy of being able to raise somebody else into uh, you know humanhood uh, in the form of children and raising them, right? So there's, there's exchanges that we take voluntarily. The involuntarily... Uh, involuntary removal of freedom or liberty is a big problem. And, and now we're seeing this happen on a, on a global scale with things like lockdowns and forced vaccinations and mask mandates. Like that's, that's however you slice it, whatever you fall on the, on the debate is irrelevant. The point is somebody's compelling you to do it and you didn't ask for it. So that has an impact on our psyches. And when we see this kind of permeated, uh, you know, angst that, that goes that seems to cut across cultures we struggle 
uh, to maintain enthusiasm. And if we do, if we want to take a little little further out of the the esoteric, you know, global domination control thing and put it more practically, let's just look at something like laws that we don't agree with or government money that doesn't get spent the way that we think it should. <clears throat> that happens all the time. So for example, I work in suicide prevention. You, you touch on this a little bit, um, but it's, it's a big deal here in, especially in Nevada. And I just fundamentally think that the wrong decisions are being made. How do I then continue to move forward with my own little minuscule contribution to society? It can be very, very frustrating when we see that powers bigger and wallets deeper than mine um, are not moving appropriately or in some cases actively moving against what I think is obviously effective, right? Um, how do we do that? How, how have you found it? Because I have my opinion, but I wanted to kind of tee it up with my, my framework there. How have you moved forward? Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a lot to digest. And, uh, I've reflected a lot on that. And as the world evolves and as society evolves, um, we all want to move forward and make an impact on who we are in this planet. And for me, it was to help heal and provide presence for individuals, maybe my friend or stranger or and especially myself. And sometimes I feel, you know, I see a lot of, emotions within me that come up and say, man, what you're doing is just counterproductive. Um, you go onto any social media platform and the toxicity, um, people bickering about, I'm like, what is going on? And here you are sitting here burning that midnight oil, trying to create something to present to kids to, on the next day and tell them, okay, this is providing you information that could and will help you in the future to grow, to deepen your, your presence on this planet and to yourself. And they go on social media and take in all this yeah. other stuff. And it feels like it just drowns everything that we do. Yeah. And you're like, Oh <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And it's really easy to get black pilled. Um, yeah, it's no secret that I served on my licensing board and rewrote a bunch of laws for the state. And um, that was a very big point of pride. I thought that I'd done something that was going to help move the needle on um, getting more practitioners into the state and uh, opening up the ability for people to come and practice and um, then by extension, treat more people who needed it. And it just yeah. didn't happen. And now I watched the current licensing board leadership and they're, they seem to be moving in the opposite direction, more restrictions. You know, they, they say higher standards, but it's like, no, you're sending a signal that it's just harder to get licensed. We don't want to make it harder. Like we're already dead yeah. last in everything that matters. You, it's not working. Um, and so yeah. that's really frustrating too. It's like, spent a lot of time on that, you know? And I, I thought that we were doing the right thing and to watch it just kind of go flat uh, is, is very frustrating. And the same thing with social media, you know, it's these poor teachers in schools doing the same thing. I watched my mom do it for 30 odd years as a, as an elementary school teacher where you work six or seven hours a day with a kid and you send them home with a family that's not going to 
endorse, support, or otherwise promote what you're doing in the school. Run. So, yeah, I, I think it's really hard. And I don't know, I think maybe some of the antidote is we have to take off the, we have to remove the measuring stick of mm. wanting to see results. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to get them. And when we get them, they're going to be few and very far between. So yeah. Walk the Talk America experiences this a lot. We think what we're doing is good. We get a lot of good feedback from individuals. And the gun companies, the big, big companies are like, eh. It's like, what do you mean, eh? Like, yeah. this is a good thing. <laughs> we're trying to save lives by promoting yeah. you know, mental wellness. Eh. Yeah. It's like, God, you guys have so much freaking money that you could really help. Eh. You know, yeah. and then... Where we take our successes is the individual uh, who pings us, yeah. sends a message, says, man, what you're doing really works. Uh, I was able to get exactly. guns away from my wife. She was having a tough time without your support. I don't know that I would have even thought that was an option. Okay, cool. Great. Now, am I at exactly. peace with that? You know, the starfish analogy of like, you know, I'm walking along the beach and I throw all the starfish back and it's like, you know, you're not going to save them all. No, but I could save one. Like we, I think yeah. we have to be I, yeah. comfortable with that being the level of success. And once we're comfortable there, uh, then everything else is a bonus. The problem yeah. is culture doesn't support that. Culture doesn't affirm that. Culture tempts us to say, you must do great, mm. big, giant things that are measurable and quantifiable on mass scale. You know, you got to be on the stage with the, with the trophy or whatever at the award ceremony. It's like, unless you, unless you get there, you're a failure. It's like, I don't know. It's, it doesn't seem that binary to me. So maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe. You know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, am I comfortable with the work that I've done and the legacy I've left? Okay. If the answer is yes, then it doesn't matter yeah. what my outcomes are for the next 30 years. <laughs> um, I, I, I so wholeheartedly agree with you. And, and that's where I'm trying to shift my state um, and say, mate, you know, yes, you want to see the whole continent um, suddenly switch as well uh, but i also remind myself how long it took me to be where i am today um and what that's it good. had to take you know um that's a really I good point only really only when i turned 33 when i really started just started shifting <laughs> and, and there's a whole lot of other if, effects and things that come to play within individuals lives and if you could help just one person skip a lot of the, the blockages or barriers that you had and fast track them into that shift, then mate, amazing. Yeah. You know, it's worth the world. How old are you That's now? how I try to uh, encourage myself. How old are you now? I'm 30. Oh, how old am I? Five? <laughs> I'm 36. Six? 36 this year. So your 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 benchmark there was about three years ago. You thought you started on the journey. Uh, we've known each other for six, six years ish, five and a half. Um, I man, that's that's really that's a really good perspective actually. Because I don't know. I guess I could loosely say that it was graduate school when I first got exposed to these counseling concepts, and I really started digging into my own life. So that would have been twenty oh seven. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't really start applying too much of it 
because uh, I also I also got baptized. Yeah. I got rebaptized when I started following Jesus in earnest. Um, the behavioral change didn't really take effect for many years later. So that was like twenty early twenty oh six. So twenty oh six twenty oh seven things really started to shift for me. But I I can I can affirmatively say yeah. that. So I would have been twenty nine then. 29, almost 30 and uh, yeah, 29 and 20 and 07. And now I'm, I'll be 44 this year. I don't think things really started to shift for me until probably 2015 or 16 (laughs) and 17. They really start. Yeah. So it's like 10 years. Like I was 10 years practicing before I was like, no, I'm I'm an adult now Um, (laughs) at the age of 38. Um, so if we if we have that as our perspective, it helps to align expectations a little bit more with reality. When you mm-hmm. and I, who are like literally doing this as a career now, uh, we yeah. can comfortably say that, right? Um, if it took us this long, how long will it take the audience and the recipients of our information? And then how long yeah. will it take that ripple? So probably won't happen in our lifetime, honestly. If we're gonna, if we really mm-hmm. want to see this change. And if we see it anywhere, we should probably be very grateful that we got to witness exactly. it. Right. So Amen that's, that's that. a good reminder. Yeah. That's a good reminder. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. You know, how long did it take me? It's like, let's have the same graciousness <laughs> for others. What do you mean you're not fully changed <laughs> and, yet? And... <laughs> been three months. <laughs> it's been three months, man. <laughs> and I try to communicate that with clients and especially through the discovery stage, even if we're meeting a group through pre-assessment, you're like, guys, you know, um, this is not miracle work. We're not Jesus. Please um, understand that. And it's going to take time and patience and also self-work. You need to be dedicated to yourself. Um, and you, even if you skip a day or three or four, it don't bad because we all do it you know like i would be hitting the gym every day and then i skip two or three days and i i'm the worst person to myself look at you you know i'm committed to this and now you're going back to eating fast food you know going to the gym um we're human beings we do that to ourselves but what we're teaching you is being able to be self-aware of that take a step back and say it's okay tomorrow i can restart again yeah Um, I, I think what we're fighting is a, a little bit of a culture war um, and the, and the war is against, it's not against people or even an ideology. I think it's just a, I don't know what the term would be. Maybe just a, a introject may be the best way to frame it. That's a, that's a Carl Jung term that means unquestioned belief or assumption that's just been pushed into you. So I think this introject mm-hmm. is for instant gratification and um it's everywhere yep. like it's every everywhere it's everywhere we'll never we'll never battle it back except individually so i can't go out there and scream yep. at google to slow down its internet search results uh <laughs> to to get people to teach patience right so what do i have to do i yep. have to i have to have the self discipline to fight that instant gratification urge myself and this is a new thing that i i don't think previous generations had to struggle much with I can go back to maybe like uh, the, the microwave or the VCR or something like that, that, you know, uh, frozen, frozen meals. Dial up. Of the, the what? Dial up internet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you see this from the, uh, about the 1950s forward, there's this been slow, but then all of a sudden accelerated progression of instant results returned um, without mm-hmm. having to wait. 
So cooking a meal at home, for example, takes a long, a lot longer than pulling the the frozen thing out of the the freezer and sticking it in the microwave. Um, that yeah. takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes patience. And I can't, I can't yell at um, you know Stouffer's or whatever company to stop making frozen food because uh, the society needs to teach patience. It, what we need to do is we need to learn to help each other hold accountable uh, for, yeah. for, for being patient. And so when we're talking about results, we're talking about instant gratification, talk about longitudinal, uh, return on investment. Um, I think the best way to do this is to, to slow everything down and like you and I, as friends can hold each other accountable. Uh, when you start to get yeah. a little squirrely, you're like, Oh, I didn't go to the gym. It's like, did you need to? Or is that just like the urge to maintain whatever level you've been operating at too? Yeah. Um, I think we, we would probably do well to incorporate that into some of our curriculum, honestly. Um, Yeah. The the patients, you didn't, you you didn't get here overnight. It's not going to get undone overnight. That's one of my favorite phrases. Mm. Um, But also really helping people understand and embrace just how much instant gratification is surrounding them. Not just the internet. Yeah. uh, customizable stuff you buy on Amazon anymore. And, you know, um, mail order, blah, blah, blahs. And, you know, it, it's all, it's all at our fingertips. So when we don't get yeah. it, instantly. whatever it is instantly and customized to us, we freak out. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a good point. Oh man. There's so much. I wish we could just snap off the finger and, and change everything. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's it, right? Maybe we don't want to do that. Maybe we, we, maybe what we wish for is a return to slower pace, um, mm. where we have to, we have to endure, you know, distress tolerance is not great right now among most human beings. Uh, we don't know how to, yeah. that's not true of all cultures. There's some cultures around the world have just been, you know, in distress all the time in war-torn countries, um, constant leadership change, you know, so, Um, I don't want to say that presumptively, but, but I think broadly in well-to-do Western societies and, um, and well-to-do Eastern societies, we're surrounded by the luxuries of comfort and we've forgotten how to Mm. struggle. And so when struggle Mm. comes, we don't know, we don't know how to deal with it. We throw a fit. Right. Um, and we just need to not, not be doing that anymore. Yeah. So true. And we'll get there. Maybe not in our lifetime, but as we hold this this light, um, and hopefully it impacts more than our our own um what you call it, what's they call it, saboteurs are telling us that it's not. But we've yeah. probably touched more than we believe we have we see. Probably. And and you know, I don't know, you know, going back to the the snap of the fingers and the the waving the magic wand thing. You know, if we could take away everybody's ales, I don't know that we'd want to. And I'll liken this straight yeah. straight to uh, the, the counseling profession as a whole. If you're my if you're my patient and I'm your therapist, I don't want to take your your struggles away. That's a that's a me issue. If I want to do that, mm-hmm. it's me not being able to watch mm-hmm. you make your own efforts through that. Because if I take if I take that away, mm-hmm. it's a little bit like uh, canceling a debt. It's a very nice thing to do. It's very polite. It mm-hmm. Comes with a lot of you know. Uh, grace, <laughs> but, but it doesn't help you learn to pay off the debt. Right. And so 
if you can do that over and over, budget better. You, yeah, you, you eventually teach yourself that it can be done, that not that you'll be bailed out. And neurologically, it's mm. the same thing as going through the emotional wave. If you bail yourself out of the emotional wave, you don't teach your brain that it's possible to get through it. So I don't know that we exactly. want to just wave a wand over society and strike all their ills. Uh, that sounds a little too utopian yeah. to me. <laughs> you have, and you and have, that's actually another, I don't know how we'd want to go into that, but that's another topic that with the work that I'm doing, um, how important the nervous system, educating individuals of the nervous system and how it it reacts from adolescent from infant adolescent to adulthood and what it's programmed to help you with especially connecting to emotions because everything is connected your your whole body is connected and it's it's trying to help or protect you um and a lot of the research that i've been reading through um how the brains develop it's 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 re- amazing, and I wish for myself that I had learned more of this growing up uh, and understanding it, or my parents, because especially now, the most beautiful thing has happened is that as I've been doing my work, my mom has been really, really into it, and I've been sharing her some of the the, the work that I do, and I send her some uh, some books to read, and and she's like, I really wish I had all this, and I, w- I probably would have raised you different and prevented uh, certain pains that you are now as an adult are dealing with. I'm like, mom, you did your best with what you had then. And I, and I thank you for saying that. Um, but, you know, but where do, who's supposed to supply this? But right now it's us, but you know, it has to some one way or another fall on the bigger boys like in the government you know in corporate and yeah and, and one of it, my things if it I doesn't you know <laughs> that's one of the things i've had to make peace with in the last uh pretty recently two years maybe where i just realized that sad as it is to say and it sounds a little black pilled and maybe a little tinfoil hat um i don't think they're interested i don't i really truly don't think that um the big boys are interested in healing. I think they're interested in power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at, uh, just take America, Republicans and Democrats, they're two, two wings of the same bird, right? It's like you still, still dealing with the bird. Um, what's the bird want? And um, I, I don't mm-hmm. think that, I don't think that the same way that the military industrial complex doesn't make money off of peacetime, Right. They don't make money off peacetime. They make money off of wartime by selling war products. The pharmaceutical industrial complex doesn't make money off of people being healthy. They make money off of people being sick because they can give them pills, shots. So I don't know that those those two entities in particular funding the politicians that then ripples out to the appointed, you know, non-elected people who are running the bureaucratic arms of the administrations broadly. I don't think they're invested in actually healing. If they were, they would be out of business. And I am unique. I know I'm unique. Um, (laughs) Sounds very braggadocio and self-centered, but I know I'm unique. (laughs) I'm unique just like everyone else. Uh, (laughs) We're all unique. Um, But, but I know I'm unique in, in saying that I truly want to work myself out of a job. Not too many people talk like that. 
Yeah. Um, no. There's, the, the, I wish there wasn't an endless supply of pain to help heal because I don't like living around people who are in pain. So I try to help them. Homelessness, poverty, yeah. uh, harm, you know, neglect, abuse, violence. This is like, this is, this is tough stuff to experience. Um, if it could all go away, I would happily, happily pay my bills doing literally any other work. So I think what I've wrestled with yeah. in the last two years is aligning my expectations with the idea that as great as our ideas are, not everybody's going to be interested in them for whatever reason. Now, one of those reasons may be because well, it's, yeah. it solves their problem and, and ends their monopoly on pain or whatever, or painkillers in some cases. Yeah. Okay. Some of it may be they're not interested because there's political ideologies at stake. Like, well, we don't want to touch that mental health stuff because of blah, 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 or, or I don't understand it, or it's a little too close to home, or I don't want yeah. to touch that guns stuff because something else. Um, some people just don't want to look in their budget. They, they'd rather talk about it yeah. and fund it. Um, and I had a great professor mm-hmm. one time in grad school say, don't show me your mission statement. Show me your budget. I was like, that's really yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> really good um you know don't talk about diversity and how much you're committed to diversity unless you've paid for a chief diversity officer in your in your budget um so what i've done is i said i'm gonna i'm gonna commit myself and zephyr to people who want us i'm done selling things i i will i will provide when asked and so far that's worked really really well the last uh, year and a half to two years um and we're we're so much more comfortable now and the work is so much more enjoyable when I'm doing it because somebody invited me rather than because I mm-hmm. thought somebody needed it. Um, needed and I'm talking it, yeah. entities, organizations, whatnot that we partner with over the years. And so it's, it's been really cool. Um, and maybe that's something that's, that might help in your, in your world or the listeners worlds where, yeah. you know, you, you, you expend your efforts on people who want them, not yeah, exactly. expending them on people you think need them. Uh, and that goes yeah. for recreational sports leagues to churches, to uh, schools, to school boards, to wherever, wherever you spend your, your time and resources. Um, do it because you're invited and somebody really yeah. values you because then, they, you know, they're going to keep you around uh, versus forcing your way in and exactly. trying to slay a dragon. Yeah. And I believe um, for me, uh, shifting to that mindset has also helped me be at peace with a lot because that frustrated frustrated me because I was like, okay, listen, guys, this is what I have. And it looks like your team would need this. And they're like, uh, I'm like, like yeah. yeah and right now, <laughs> <laughs> We're back to the man. <laughs> and um, now I'm just doing what I have to do. Um, and we have organizations and schools coming to us like, hey, we heard about what you guys are doing. We don't really under- fully understand, but we'd like to hear you out. Can you come and have a talk? And that's what I've done. And it's grown from that. And we also do one-on-one coaching. I've had referrals from um, friends. Like, hey, um, Safita's doing this. Give him a shout. And and, and, it's, cool. and, and it's beautiful to see. Um, so, yeah. That's really cool. Um, is I don't remember if I talked about this with Moni or not. Um, what's the... What's the regulation uh, world like there? Like, like if somebody says I'm a coach or I'm a therapist or whatever, like, is there a licensing process? Cause I have some strong opinions about this, but what's it like in Cambodia 
where where you're working? Does 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 so, dot gov get to to bless people or like how does that work? So there's a very small um, licensing criteria in Cambodia and it is there but a lot of it is from international so the individuals would go overseas study get the license and then come back into the country okay. and uh, practice uh, so that's how it is uh, so right now one of my good friends Joey Ra he's um, he's creating a coaching uh, institute within the first coaching institute in Cambodia as Cambodian coaching institute and he's building a team of coaches uh, licensed under the ICF, so okay. uh, International Coaching Federation. Um, so he's done his whole accreditation, but he's opening a an office there and he wants to build this new types of coaching that tap into business and um, emotional uh, functioning, which is, which is really beautiful to see uh, because I also saw that uh, this there's an overlapping between uh, psychology and coaching. Yeah. So there's certain areas where it does overlap and well, there tapping should be. into both. Yeah. yeah, there should be. Uh, and, and I, so what I'm hearing is it's privately uh, regulated. There's a private association yeah. that, you know, people can uh, pay their dues, uh, jump through the hoops and put a, put a sticker on the wall. that says I'm certified by so-and-so. So yeah, but government does not have a doesn't play a role in that yet where you are like it does here. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Yeah. No, yeah. not yet. I, th- I think there's uh there's this illusion that because somebody has a license in the West, at least in America specifically, that um, they're the best. <laughs> and not only are the best they're that's the yeah. only way to ascertain if somebody is competent. Um, and as a result, you get a lot of licensees such as myself, I don't think this way, but I know people who do, who look down their noses at people who are unlicensed, like coaches. Coaches can, you know, anybody can call himself a coach. Uh, you can have a credential from the ICF. That'd be cool. Um, but the general public doesn't know the difference. So the general public yeah. falls back to what can I trust? And if, you, if mm-hmm. you're not a believer in market forces and just the fact that businesses stay in business because they're good at what they do, um, then you go to, well, what, what badge can I point to that says this person is minimally trustworthy, right? As certified by the state mm-hmm. and is, you know, regulated and whatnot. Yeah. And for me, that's just like, and, and again, I chaired a licensing board. Like, it's very weird for, for here to people to hear me talk like this, I'm sure. But I don't, I don't really believe in it because I know there's so many bad practitioners yeah. out of there who are literally doing the minimum exactly. as opposed to the maximum because the maximum is not rewarded by the market. Then you end up mm. with this big question mark about, are we really helping as best we could with this process? And I don't, I don't think the answer is yes. Mm. I think, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. It's like, yeah, you can give the public a relative certainty that what they're getting is not going to hurt them, but it's going to be up to them to find out what helps them the best. And unfortunately that sometimes means going to practitioner after practitioner after practitioner. Some of the best coaches uh, never went to graduate school. They don't hold licenses. They never did. Some of them used to hold licenses and got sick of the bureaucratic Mm. nonsense and gave it up. Um, 
and I, and I don't mean just mental health coaches. I mean like coaches down to like sports coaches, right? There's sports coach yeah. federations that yeah. it's like, yeah, but maybe you didn't need to play pro ball in order to be a good coach. Maybe actually it's yeah. best if you didn't. Um, so I, I asked that because I, I want to know, you know, how does, how do people find the good ones from the bad ones? And I, I don't know that there's a good answer to that other than just trial and it, error. Yeah. It's, it's just trial and error right now because as well, um, where, uh, my electricity, my life are going to turn right off in a minute. Oh, um, there's some power cuts. Um, but it'll come back on. We should talk about that. I, I talked to a guy from South Africa the other day and he told me about that, but go on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a very weird space because especially now with, you know, you now you can go on, find an organization, do a one week um, course and you can be a coach, Right. you know, like being a minister <laughs> and how, to, to you perform marriages. And you can't stop that. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, it's, I guess it's, it's to the individual to like ascertain, like, okay, so you seem like a good coach because there are, I get this other circumstances where, because it's expensive, like the, to getting the ICF accreditation, it costs a lot of money. Um, and some individuals that have that inner coach within them and that, need to help people but they don't have the funds to be able to go right. through that whole totally. uh, paying for it so what do we do with that <laughs> well you know and I, i've said this repeatedly yeah. um, i don't know how long it's been since i've said it on this podcast maybe i did it with stephanie but um i don't think we should take like we licensees we shouldn't take ourselves so seriously i don't care what your license is but it really, yeah, that's so, that's bizarre that the lights get went out but you still have internet um <laughs> but the um but like humanity got here right somehow over 40,000 years that we've been in our current form. And it was because we relied on the people in the tribe who knew us better than we knew ourselves and could reflect a little bit and help Mm -hmm. us along. Now there's become this like, I don't know, guild association, cottage industry of (laughs) places that want to charge you money to credential you. It's like, well, yeah. somebody, <laughs> something's up here. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I know that there's, there's a good spirit behind it. It's, a, it's to present this outward facing brand that says you can trust mm-hmm. me because this organization is better than me. The better business bureau does it. The chambers yep. of commerce do it. That's, that's fine. Like people get together and they, they form groups that say, we all aspire to these goals and we adhere to these standards. Therefore you can trust us more or less without vetting us individually. All right, cool. I yeah. get that. Um, but then the state takes it and flips it on its head and says, if you're vetted by us, we promise you that no harm will befall you. And it's like, yeah. that's not true at all. All you can do is take exactly. my license away. You don't, like, And then what? Like uh, I get sued in civil court by the per- person I hurt, which is exactly what they would have done anyway um, yeah. without the license. So I just want to make sure that people aren't like lulled into a sense of complacency by saying, Oh, I hired a licensed marriage and family therapist. They must be great. Mm. It's like, well, mm. no, there's, there's a spectrum. Yeah. Um, and same thing with coaches, you know, go to the person who seems reasonable, has some history under their belt, maybe a couple of credentials. You know, that's, that's never a bad thing. If you're taking classes mm. that come with certificates, you know, that's something you can throw out to people, but eventually yeah. the work should stand on its own too. And I, you know, I'm not big on verbal resumes when I start giving presentations, you know, it's like, here's Jake, 
why, why is Jake standing in front of us? Well, Jake has a license from the state of Nevada. He owns and operates a company and he's been doing this work for a long time on with the presentation. Cause I think if the words that are coming out of my mouth are any good, they will be good regardless of who's delivering. Of what, exactly. Right. Um, so exactly. I don't want it to make it too much about me, which is why I have no problem handing you this stuff. It's like the, the work is what matters. It doesn't matter who's yeah. delivering it. You're exactly. a quality, you're a quality presenter. You're a good speaker. You're, you're highly intelligent, all that stuff. But the, oh, the idea you. is that, <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Um, but the idea is that anybody can do this if they understand yeah. it really well and you've taken the time mm-hmm. to understand it. Now you're, you're sharing it with other people and they're, they themselves are learning in turn. And, yeah. you know, hopefully Chris does this too um, yeah. in, in South Africa or wherever he is. He's not in South Africa anymore. South Africa. South Africa. He is. Okay. I thought he went up yeah. to a different country for a whole period of time. Maybe um, but, on holiday, but yeah, he's back. He should be back. I need to call him actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the, the brownouts. What's uh, the, the rolling outages there? What city are you in? By uh, um, right now I'm in a little town called Kumati Port. It's closer, close to the border of Mozambique. Okay. So it's in between uh, Kruger National Park and Mozambique uh, border. Is there a big uh, city nearby that we would identify with? Uh, um, places it's you not know? a, I would, at Nelspruit, but it's, okay. it's, it's a little town, but Pretoria is 400, 400 Ks from Pretoria. Okay. From the capital, from the capital city. Okay. That puts yeah. a, a dot in my head anyway. Uh, so, this your country has been it's not you're in Cambodia, but I mean, yeah. your family's in <laughs> South Africa, that's where you're from. But that, that country's been struggling with some uh political turmoil for a while. And I mean feel free to share whatever you want to share. That's you know, I don't know who's listening or <laughs> how this all works. If there's punishments that come down if you speak ill of the government. But um I was having a conversation with a guy the other day that we didn't record. I was just learning. Um but it sounds like there's there's some really interesting stuff going on in South Africa right now with regard to where politics have shifted and who's in power. And the, the and what's really alarming is the stratification of wealthy to poor. Like he was describing that in Johannesburg, for example, there's, you know, multi-million dollar buildings, multi-million dollar corporations, literally one street over from, uh, homeless encampments that have taken over entire buildings that have been abandoned. And it's like, like the, the, this, the, I guess the, the contrast between wealth and poverty is so stark that it almost seems like there's an impending civil war coming. And I don't know if I'm overstating that or if it's hyperbolic to say that, but help us understand what's going on in South Africa, because it sounds like it's a little bit of a harbinger of what maybe is coming in America. <laughs> well, um, to, to be fair and honest, I've stepped away from looking at all the politics in South Africa because oh. it's, 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 it's quite, it's, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, with all, with all the internal fighting and the lack of services at times, you know, with the, like with, with this ESCOM business with the um, rolling blackouts, it's, it's like even coming home and talking to people, people are tired and exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, the shift in wealth is, it's been like that for, for a very long time. Like even when I was 
still living in South Africa, you, you can see the difference who are the 1% and then the rest of the people. Um, right. If you go to Cape Town, Cape Town is beautiful. Uh, you'll see $10 million houses. And if you look over the fence, you can see the township right next to all these beautiful golf courses. Um, and all these people are working like either domestic workers within these houses. But it's it's not like there's a, a separation. It's right next to each other. Right, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, we don't uh, uh, we don't have that in America. We have we have poverty, but it's it's elevated poverty. You know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not clapboard uh, shacks and uh, corrugated tin roofs. Um, yeah, I mean it exists, but not in the way that it's been described. It's like we have homelessness in big cities and Reno is not a big city, but, but it's big enough to have a, a pretty sizable homeless problem. Um, but that's controlled and managed by, by the government more or less, right? There, you still see people, uh, individuals propped up on the side of the road and whatnot, but, but the way that, that this guy was describing it to me, it sounds like there's entire, like you said, townships um, that are impoverished and, they're what, what our homeless problem looks like in, you know, in the several hundred, this is like millions and, and it's right within how you said it's like right next door to opulence. And I, it's crazy to me. And, and the solutions seem to be um, doubling down on current policies of it. Um, if you, if you're not up to date, we, I mean, that's fine. We don't have to, to talk about it. I, I just found it really fascinating. Yeah, I'm not, like, honestly, I'm not. And, um, like, we've always had township. This is where, back in the apartheid, where the white uh, government um, segregated all the black um, countrymen. So these areas were only blacks, um, and these were called townships. But as the transition to a new um, government, these areas remained um there's a few educated or um individuals who moved out of those townships moved into the suburbs and grew but majority of the black community remained um and these individuals serviced the country in the lower service uh so like cleaners um cashiers you know lower level um employment Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a very small percentage of um, black South Africans in upper management, but it's there's like, I really don't like talking about politics because it's, it's frustrating and I'm not very <laughs> in tune with it. And in, in, in like in any country, it's, it's very emotional and it's for the person who lives in the country. It's, it's, it's really like personal. Mm-hmm. So it sucks, but you know, every, we we hope the government will do better. Um, that's what I guess. That's what any individual. <laughs> we all hope our governments will do better. <laughs> do better. <laughs> yeah, I, and I don't ask that just out of my own curiosity or you know to be capricious. It's it's because through the lens of mental health and wellness, people are frequently now more frequently here showing up in our clinic, complaining about um that which they believe is out of their control and yeah and so i i'm curious how it is in other states and nations i'm always curious i don't, I don't necessarily need to 
figure it out or, you know, raise a banner for the cause, but I want to be able to help people. And let's get back to our kind of our, our, where we touched on the black pilling earlier is how, how do we offer hope and help and encouragement to people when we ourselves are finding ourselves in agreement with their, with their plight? It's like, yeah, you're kind of screwed. (laughs) Um, And and I, I think it gets back to, you know, one person at a time, restoring individual agency, restoring individual uh, worth and autonomy, uh, not necessarily fighting the system. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Like in, in South Africa, the mental health side is not very, uh, I wouldn't say not supported, but it's it's like, again, it's still growing, but it's very private, privatized. Um, So the individuals who provide the services as private companies, um, uh, so if you want to go see a therapist or have any mental health issues, it's very expensive. It's only for mm. the elite who mm. can be to get this. So it's difficult, and especially for lower wage communities, um, they don't have medical aid. They don't have the money to be going to these uh, services. So what do they do? And then you have the NGOs who try and provide, but um, they they swamped. You know, yeah. they don't. <laughs> they can't keep up and the resources the funding it, it's it's just so it's the same story here um yeah yeah i mean we have we have insurance you know medical insurance that sometimes has a health benefit and you know they're trying to get everybody covered under either government insurance or uh private insurance and then it's a matter of who's in network with those insurances and government insurance is always harder to get in network with because of the bureaucratic hoops and private insurance is hard to get a network with because they try to keep the provider enrollment low so that they don't mm-hmm. have to pay out for the benefits. Too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. Um, but you know, if, in trying to rethink this, getting back to the, the cause and the mission of Naga notes is to, if we want to educate and enrich people's minds, um, then what we do is we share and disseminate the information. So more videos, more podcasts, get it in the hands of the people and groups. You know, I think maybe we need to rethink this whole individual psychotherapy thing and say, if we're going to reach people, don't take it off the table, obviously, but if we're going to reach people in mass, we have to gather them in mass. And so that, that may be eight to 10 at a time for a common struggle, or it could be classrooms full of people, or it could be uh, Twitter spaces and YouTube live and Facebook live yeah. chats where we invite thousands in and you can passively listen or actively participate in the comments exactly. section. And, and that may, that may be a help to people. Uh, I certainly yeah. think it's, it's helped some of the listening audience in the past who's listened to our statically recorded episodes, but I found yeah. a new, new interest in some of these uh, shows that I've gone on that are live. Cause we're pulling comments from as they trickle in from the as various feeds. In. It's really cool. We should do one like this. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have no problem with that. Um, I've never tried a Twitter spaces. Um, I've been on a couple of them. And I've never hosted one, but uh, certainly the YouTube thing is cool. And, uh, and you can, stream across multiple platforms I've discovered yep. and um, you're engaging, you know, you're engaging yeah. with the audience. And even if people are not actively participating, they're just listening, they're listening to the engagement and they can take something away that they can then apply yeah. in their lives, which I, th- I think is yeah. super cool. So that's how you, that's how you decentralize. If you decentralize it and you bring it to the masses, 
um, it becomes much more accessible. And I think we're, exactly. we're going to end up impacting far more people that way than just doubling down on the old model of like, go to oh, the therapist. One. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's only so many of us to go around. There's way too many of you to serve. Yeah. And then in areas like, like again, in, in South Africa, in Cambodia, um, the, the lack of uh, practitioners within the local community is very small. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for black therapists, uh, colored therapists, you know, it's, 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 it's tiny. It's like almost non-existence. And right. so and getting this information to these communities, it empowers those communities to, to spread the word and then also encourage upcoming yep. individuals who's like, yeah, I actually want to study that and become yep. who wants to, you know, Yep. You got to, you got to bring it to the people. And that's one of the discussions that I've had before is the workforce pipeline. How do we increase the, the volume of the workforce pipeline? And it's, you know, we can have all the tricks in the book, but unless somebody's going to pay them once they get out, yeah. we're just brainstorming for no reason. Um, and that kind of, you know, since I tend to be the wet blanket in those meetings, because I bring it back to reality. And I said, yeah, unless everybody plans on being a master's level practitioner licensed by the state billing insurance, it's not going to matter. So what do we have to do? We have to create more jobs that are like actually well-funded and well-paid for people who want to go in this field with merely a bachelor's degree or merely a high school diploma with some certificates. And those are starting to happen. They're called peer support services here. Yeah. But they, the, the, the stupid government gets in the way every time. They're like, we've got to regulate it. We've got to, we got to credential them. And then the credentialing comes with continuing education courses. And they've done the same thing with childcare. They've regulated it and taxed it to death so that you can't go be, you just want to have a heart for children and work in daycares, you know, uh, pre K zero to zero mm-hmm. to five years old. You're making 14 bucks an hour at best. It's like, that's not livable. And yeah. why, why is that happening? Well, it's because it's not a valued service. It's a desired yeah. service and it's really, really high in uh, demand, but it's just underfunded. It's like, we need more daycare. No, you need to pay better. We need yeah. more mental health workers. Where's the money come from? Um, yeah. And that's something where .gov has done a great job regulating and a poor job of funding. What do they fund? <laughs> Prisons. <laughs> weaponry <laughs> it's like what i wouldn't do for some of that budget um, so there is yeah, there man. are answers and i mean it's nice to be a part of the solution um yeah even even slow though it may be and um small uh as our influence uh appears uh we are doing something instead of just belly aching online about it yes we are we are making that impact brother and i'm happy to be doing it Looking forward to the next, the next, the next five years. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm. I still need to come and have a beer with you. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you keep talking me out of going to Cambodia with my family, so I guess you got to come to the states. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. Um, hopefully, we get to visit soon. Um, I know you're gonna come visit somebody in New Jersey or something. My sister, sister, and your your nephew, nephews, nieces. He's uh, well, I'm an uncle again. She's got a baby daughter in one uh, one month today. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. This will be your second kid? Yeah, this is our second kid. 
Yeah. 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 So when you, when you come visit, you just uh, hop another, you know, eight hour flight across the country to Nevada, (laughs) take you up to Lake Tahoe and you can see all the pretty stuff. And uh, if you come in the summer, it'll be uh, green on the trees and brown in the uh, surrounding areas. And if you come in the winter, it will all be brown, but, (laughs) but still pretty. All right. Well, uh, thanks, man. Uh, Good talking to you. It was a pleasure. I'm happy to have done this. Um, We should do little ones uh, more often. Um, yeah, I'm, I feel more confident now. Uh, I was, I'm always shy to be, because I've always, I think I spoke about this. So I, I just want to be the man behind the, the curtain, like, like, okay, guys, doing great job out there. No, not anymore. That's not your <laughs> not calling. Anymore. No, that wasn't you your calling anyway. No. Yeah, you, you're, you're too charismatic. You're too enjoyable, and you, and you really bring a, a solid, energetic presence. And so that wasn't, you couldn't, you couldn't live in the shadows. That's not like, mm. uh, I know why you, you know, we, we know why you were, you were preferring that yeah. in the past, but now it's like, you've grown, you've stepped into your own, you know what you are. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, the more you do that, the the easier it'll become too. And then exactly. um, it'll all just self feed, but yes, we should, we should schedule more of these just to talk about stuff. It's nice to get the update and to yeah. hear that, um, the coaching's going well and the, and the education is going well and the, the corporate uh, consulting is going well. And that's, that's how, that's how you make an impact. That's how you get a bigger audience. So. Exactly. Good and job. if anyone wants to reach us, you know, our website, just give us a shot. Mm-hmm. Even in, in, even there for you. Um, because we have all the information out there. People just need to come and reach out and say, hey, even if it's just for curiosity sake, that's why I tell a lot of people when because a lot of individuals don't understand or they're like, oh, what is this? Curiosity's sake, you know, check it out. Send us an email. We'll send you some information like, hey, this is what it's about. You can do like a, a demo for you. Um, and that's how uh, we want to get the info. Like I, I, sometimes I tell people like, we really just want to get this information out there. Yeah. <laughs> like Did- We're like, yeah. Take it from us. <laughs> Not Nogginotes.com. Nogginotes.com. Yeah. Is there an app on the horizon, do you think? Will, will we ever um, go back to the yeah. app? We'll definitely go back because so many people ask for the app. Um, um, I had a lot of individuals who were using it. like, oh, mm-hmm. I wish I had the app because I, I was using it on the daily. But definitely, um, it's on the pipeline, hopefully sooner than later. But yes. Maybe we just need to start charging for it. I know that we wanted it to be free and accessible to everybody, but sometimes, you know, it makes yeah. a difference having skin in the game too. Um, yeah. I've certainly learned that over time is, you know, when you offer something for free, um, people tend to not care as much about it, but if you charge a nominal yeah. fee, then they're, then they're really invested because they paid something, even if it's yeah. tiny. So yeah, it'll help sustain it. Definitely. Or we get an angel donor. Somebody flies in and drops, you know, 50K <laughs> on us. Then we have an that would app. Be lovely. Yes, it would. That would be lovely. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining Thank us. You so I, much. Forget, I forget how I signed these off. On behalf of our <laughs> Naga Notes family and our Zephyr Wellness family, uh, we wish you all great mental wellness. Bye. Ciao. Bye.